This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here this episode with a good friend of the show, Rob Christofferson. Rob, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. You know, trying trying my damnedest not to just push my head through a wall right now <laughs> I, with the way. I kind of feel like that's a regular thing for you, Chris. I, I really do. It does, you know, it does seem that way. Uh, what was it? We had, you know... I just follow follow these things, the UFO community, ghost community, Bigfoot, whatever. Then also the science community. And this week has had kind of a really frustrating turn from Michio Kaku, who is one of my, you know, one of my, uh, I don't want to say science heroes necessarily, kind of a science communication hero, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. I loved reading his books as a kid. Um, you know, he's fascinating. He's got some cool theories and ideas and stuff that he talks about in his books. But, you know, uh, he has kind of jumped on the UFO bandwagon kind of hard right now. And it's, it's kind of funny seeing him and Neil deGrasse Tyson, like subtweet each other in a, in a funny way, yeah. you know? Um, and like, I think, you know, obviously I think we both think that there's something to the UFO subject. You know what I mean? We wouldn't be involved if, if we didn't think that, right. um, it's just a little, uh, what's the word? It's a little disconcerting to see, you know, the UFO community hates you until you agree with them and then they, they just love you desperately. And that's what's happening with Michio Kaku. And it's like it's like whiplash, you know, mm-hmm. it really is. Yeah. Anyways. All right. So this episode and really this series, we are going to talk about the world of UFO disclosure. And specifically, we're going to talk about the militarization kind of fetish that exists in the UFO world. Mm-hmm. So. Disclosure has been something that the UFO community, I mean, how how long do you think they've been talking about this, Rob? Oh, God. Disclosure. It's been, what, like a buzz term for decades now. Just, you yeah. know, the, the government's got all the answers, and they're going to deliver them, hand deliver them to the people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really been... Since kind of the modern era of UFO sightings, which I would say started around 75, 76, you know, right around the time of the Nixon administration, that is when kind of the modern era of UFO sightings, I I would consider it to have started. And that's kind of where disclosure started being a thing hard, right? And it corresponds to a view of conspiracy theories generally in the United States. Um, so today, disclosure is really taking on a meme status of its own almost. It's it's almost like a doomsday prophecy in my mind. It's kind of a thing where you don't know what disclosure means. We don't know who's going to cause disclosure or what's going to bring it about. But we know that we all better be prepared for yeah. it. You know, and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, you know, Tom DeLonge will get on Twitter and say, I got some big stuff coming this week. And then nothing will happen mm. related to the Two Stars Academy, really. Yeah. But then something happens seemingly, you know, related and everyone jumps up for joy and they're like, see, he told us. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's an oh. like like 
Disclosure is, uh, I, I call it the book of revelations of ufology. Really is. <laughs> right. It's something that we think is going to happen. Or you, sh- you to be a UFO theorist in some way, or to be a UFO believer, it's like required belief, mm-hmm. right? That disclosure is coming. It's going to be great because you're going to get to tell all of your stupid friends and family members that you were right this whole time about aliens. Right. You know, it's it's this perfect this perfect prophecy, and every time it doesn't happen, it somehow just strengthens the prophecy itself. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, the conviction is stronger than ever. The UFO hipsters are out in full, and their theories are the best theories. And, um, yeah, still no disclosure has happened yet. Other than the, you know, the military, the Navy saying, oh, cool. Yeah, these these videos, we don't know what they are. Oh, cool. Right. (laughs) Cool. Great. (laughs) Really? So... Oh, God. Over the course of this series, we're going to talk about we're, we're essentially going to try to we're going to try to course the history of the UFO subject and its fascination with the military's involvement or potential military involvement. What are the different flavors of that theory? How did the current theory become the dominant one? And what you know, you know one part of this story that's never really talked about. But it's kind of mentioned in the in the quiet places, right? We mention it on the show a lot. I know Rob, you mentioned it, and uh, you know I know Scott and Forrest from Astonishing Legends talk about it a lot. They did in their Skinwalker Ranch episode, obviously. Are the involvement of these kind of big figures in the subject, who everyone who believes in UFOs knows about and has heard about, but the public doesn't really know them, right? And mm. of course, I'm talking about people like Robert Bigelow or George Knapp or Harold Pudoff or Jim Semivan. Mm-hmm. Right. These people who even today appear to be kind of driving the discourse uh, as part of To The Stars Academy, um, you know, from within or without potentially. And, you know, their story, their method of getting to where they are and really understanding their background, I think, is super important. And it's something that, you know, people just hear that Tom DeLong is involved in this and they just trust Tom DeLong, I think without looking at the backgrounds of any of these other people who have really been kind of skating by on their credentials um, since the beginning of their careers. Yeah. Um, an exciting uh, development, Chris, uh, I, I believe it was last week. Uh, the uh, individual known that uh, Tom Long calls the boss man. Do you, have you heard this term? Yep. Did you know that he was at an Angels and Airwaves show last week? Oh, so exciting. Yeah. So very exciting. Yeah. The boss, the man. boss, man. Yeah. Yeah. Where was that show? Do you do you have any? Idea? I think it was in California. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, man. The boss, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. So silly. All right, Jake, roll the tape. All right. So, Rob, let's let's start at the end. Actually, I guess or let's start where we are today. So recent developments that have happened, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So we've already talked about this on the show, but the New York Times puts out this story that the Navy has videos of unidentified flying objects, but what they're calling UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, which appears to be the military term for these things. Now, the Navy has since said that UAP can mean anything. It can mean it's just anything we haven't identified right. yet. Right. Which, uh, you know, is what UFO originally meant. It did not mean alien spaceship. 
So, you know, they're categorizing things like drones and, uh, you know, uh, lightning and a bug on the camera screen and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things are UAPs until they're identified. Right. And then they're actually, you know, understood and, and you can get rid of the stuff and whatever. This New York Times article claimed that this was part of a secret government program called ATIP, the Advanced uh, Advanced Aviation, what was it, Threat Identification Program, uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's either aviation or aerospace, whatever one you want to pick. Yeah, so this project was supposedly led by Luis Elizondo, mm -hmm. and we're going to get into that as we get later on in this series, but led by Luis Elizondo, and he had since come out and started working with a group called To The Stars Academy, which was led by Tom DeLong, yep. uh, Jim Semivan, and Harold Pudoff. Mm -hmm. But Tom DeLong was the main figure out there in the public face. At the beginning, yes. At the beginning, it was mostly Tom DeLong. Today, it has since become Luis Elizondo. Mm -hmm. Now, when they first came out, they said that they wanted investors um, to invest in their company as uh, type A investors which is basically it's almost like a Kickstarter, except if they don't if they don't meet any of their goals, they don't have to pay you back. Right. right? But basically what this is, is you don't need to hit a certain threshold to invest in this company. You can just invest as a as a normal person. You know, so if you wanted to invest like 100 bucks into the Stars Academy, you could. Although I think they set their limited stock, their minimum stock buy in price is two hundred dollars or something like yeah. that. But whatever. The, the, that is really neither here nor there at this point. So the way that this – but buried in the New York Times story was the fact that ATIP was started because of the friendship and the urging between uh, Senator Harry Reid from Nevada and Robert Bigelow, an aerospace executive um, who was interested in the subject. Yep. And to me, that has always been the central point of that story, that government corruption – you know, I don't know what you want to call it. Right. But if I could tell my friend, the senator who I'm friends with, you know, for whatever reason, but I, I give him money. Right. Mm -hmm. If I could tell my friend, the senator, that I wanted something investigated and then my friend, the senator did investigate it. That to me seems a little bit like corruption. <laughs> Tiny bit. Yeah. Just a slight bit. Right. Like a little bit, like a little bit. It seems like government corruption. Yep. And the people on the To The Stars Academy board, especially Harold Pudoff, we know this documented, this, this interaction or this case, is, is a big part of the Robert Bigelow UFO story. Mm. So that connection there is, I think, a very important one, but it's one that is often ignored in the UFO world, either because people don't know about this history, they don't care enough to know, or frankly, to the Stars Academy has done a very good job of controlling the narrative, kind of the media narrative around their company. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. Now, to the Stars Academy releases these videos of supposed aircraft or, or something. Right. They claim they're UFOs. Right. The Tic Tac video, right, which is of the USS Nimitz encounter, uh, Go Fast, and then there's another one too that they've uh, right. They've released three now at this yep. point. Um and. That's kind of been their major contribution since then. And from that point forward, besides releasing the videos, it's essentially been Tom DeLonge on Instagram and Twitter saying something big is coming. Yeah. And this was the week that something big was supposed to come. Right, right. Because we got uh, 
you know, word, uh, John Greenwald from the Black Vault got, got in touch with Navy spokesperson. Navy spokesperson said that what was in the videos, uh, as far as their role, the Navy's role in uh, studying them, was not identified. They don't know what's in them. Right. So the Navy, so, so I think three important things happened this week. The first one is the Navy came out and said to the Black Vault, um, and, you know, full disclosure, John is a friend of the show. They came out and said, we don't know what dirt in these videos. They also said that the videos were never cleared for public release, <laughs> which seems like another important point that we're just all kind of glossing over. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, you know, this isn't the Navy saying, you know, it's um, I don't know if that's really. I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird thing, right? The Navy's saying, yeah, it's it's out there now. We never said they could go out, but whatever, they're out there. We don't know what are in these videos. But then the Navy has also clarified to uh, people people like uh, Glassell that, you know, yeah, when we say something is unidentified, we don't mean that it's an alien spaceship. Right. right. This could still be a bird or a drone or, you know, any of the other possible explanations that are out there. Right. And if you tell someone that something is unidentified and you don't preface that by saying, we're not saying that it's alien. That's automatically the first thing that a lot of people go to. Oh, aliens. Well, yeah. no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And on top of that too, the other thing, the third thing I think that's important that actually just happened this morning is Bigelow aerospace has gotten back into the game of UFOs now. After kind of, you know, years of really being silent on the matter. Mm. And what they've released is a video, which appears to come from some kind of security cam or trail cam footage. Um, Not really trail cam, like security cam. Yeah. Of inside of a room, which appears to have a table and some boxes and stuff on it. Yep. Where a floating orb is seen moving through the frame. Mm-hmm. I so mean, we're putting spooky... we're, we're we're saying orb, but we're putting heavy quotations on it. Yes, yes. As anyone who listens to this show should know, uh, orbs are the kind of famous, um, what's the word? Ghost hunting, bullcrap, stupidness thing, right? The orb. If the if the Travel Channel was gonna have a a. Uh, a logo that didn't say, you know, travel or whatever, it would be a ghost hunter pooping their pants at the image of an orb on a camera. Mm. You know, it's like the, it's the quintessential ghost hunting meme. Um, Orbs are usually just picked up, you know, kicked up particles of dust that are reflecting the light, especially IR light um, in a way that the eye wouldn't necessarily see, but which appears on camera. Yeah. Right. That's just the way that that kind of thing happens. So, the release of the orb video has been met with uh, heavy skepticism and criticism. How would you how would you define the release of that video, Rob? It's ambiguous as hell. What the, what the hell am I supposed to get from that? It's not prefaced by anything. It's just um, you know, it's almost jokingly put out there. So like, it's why 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 are we yeah the, why are they doing this? The Bigelow Twitter page put out it says it says our contribution i think is what they said yeah right um or our little contribution or our small contribution or something and it's just this video and actually it kind of plays into one of my own you know in my own kind of head canon i i like to believe that robert bigelow does not like to the stars academy 
and thinks that they are making a mess of this whole thing. Um, and actually, so in my mind, I don't necessarily think they're working together. I think that they are actually uh, working against each other in, in some way. But that's that's just my own personal kind of hope and view. Right. Well, I mean, you All know, right. I, it, as as much as, you know, as much as the heavy speculation going on here, I, I think that's noble to think that, you know, other than, you know, the, the other side of that, which is that they're working together, which. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's there's four. Listen, there's far more evidence that they're working together than that they're working against each other. Yeah. But, you know, I think it'd be cool to have, uh, I don't know, the battle of the UFO Titans. Yeah, it'd be pretty dope. All right. So. That's kind of where we are now. And so we thought it was important to put out a series like this that we could kind of get to the bottom of some of these things. Because, you know, we. I especially go out there a lot and I'm very vocal against my I'm very vocal. I don't want to say I'm against to the Stars Academy, but I'm very vocal in my belief that you should not invest into the Stars Academy at all. Right. You should not be giving your money to this group. Right. Um, You know, I don't care what they do. I just don't think that they should be taking people's money to do it. Right. And frankly, a lot of what they've put out there is the reason I think that is because a lot of what they've put out there is lacking to say the least, but there is a lot of misinformation and just, I think a general lack of knowledge of how this plays into the overall mythos of the UFO world um, and kind of the history of the subject. And that's why we wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's start at the, just the ground up stuff, right? In my mind, the modern UFO story follows closely the general feelings of Americans towards our political system. Mm -hmm. And that is because it, it gets tied very closely in hand with conspiracy theories generally. Right. So public confidence in government as a whole, and this is from Pew research has trended steadily downward since the 1960s. Yeah. Um, especially since the mid 1960s. And uh, that period coincidentally is a, was an especially disastrous one for the American political and social landscape. Right. The high point in this Pew survey um, that asked essentially, quote, um, or, or, the number of Americans who identified themselves as trusting the government in Washington always or most of the time, the high was 77% in 1964. And that's essentially the point where we traded off from the uh, JFK administration after he was assassinated to the Johnson administration. Since that time period, however, that number of people who consider themselves to trust the government in Washington always or most of the time has just plummeted with small upswings in the mid eighties and the late nineties. However, confidence that metric has never risen above 60% at any time since the 1960s. And currently we sit at a meager 17%. Our generation in particular has never seen a period where more of us consider the government to be trustworthy than untrustworthy. The highest percentage at that marker was 40% right after September 11th. So since 9-11, our trust in the government has just steadily decreased. Yeah. And really, I think that a part of that, and I think it's really a, a, a kind of an important timeline point for the UFO community and just society in general as well, is that changeover from 
kind of a, a more trusting of the government viewpoint to not trusting the government at all. Mm. And kind of the three main reasons that that's usually pointed out or, or three of the main reasons that that's usually said to have occurred is the assassination of JFK, the disastrous uh, Vietnam War, yeah. and in particular the Tet Offensive, right? Uh, our government was saying the Vietnam War was almost over and then we got, uh, you know, uh, evidence, complete evidence to the contrary that this was going to go on for a long time since then. And then the disaster of the Nixon administration and the impeachment of Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. Those three events are really just that, that, that period between the mid 1960s to the mid 1970s is one that did such, you know, kind of psychic damage to the American population that we have never trusted our government since then in any really significant way. Right. At the same time, that has really helped us build up the UFO mythology. Now, there's kind of, I think, three major sections of the UFO mythos, right? We, we often talk about them like, you know, the period of the benevolent space brothers, um, the period of, you know, the government's involvement, and then the period of, you know, the greys uh, abducting people and doing scientific experiments on them, right? The guinea pig kind of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob, how would you how would you consider this? Because I, I know I, I know the way that I define those eras in the UFO subject, but I guess how would you define them? And would you say there's three or there are more? Like, how would you break that up? Um, I would start by saying from about we're, we're beginning about 1947 and uh, we go to about 1952 before we get to the contactees and the whole Space Brother thing. Uh, in 1947, uh, and that little bit forward, we're getting ufology in its infancy because nobody really knows what the heck's going on. The government's studying it simply because they don't know what these things are, and somebody better get on it and try to figure it out. And you have the early mythos start to emerge, and then you move into the contactee age, which I would characterize from about 1952 all the way up until 1961 when pretty much uh, the contactees started to really die down. Uh, But during that time period, it was very, hmm, how do I say, communistic in in the ideals. (laughs) And it's definitely the era that would put you on, uh, you know, McCarthy's radar, for sure. Right. And when you get into the 60s, things start to get, a lot weirder like a lot of your key cases in ufology start to come from the 60s you get the really weird stuff with like the mothman and point pleasant that gets tied into the ufos that are happening there you have a lot of just the giant juggernaut cases that uh you know take shape and form this mythos and then you get into the mid seventies where uh, we bandy around the keyword disclosure, and we've kind of limped on with that for for a long time. And I mean the the um, alien abduction stuff that's kind of a subset of this same time period because you have this UFO disinformation campaign that starts really toward the end of the 70s and then really ramps up in the mid 80s up until the point where 
you have uh, Bill Moore, the famed UFO researcher who uh, admitted playing a part in putting disinformation into the community. And at the same time, you have the rise of the abductees, which really mm-hmm. begins with Whitley Strieber publishing communion. That's where it really hits the the public consciousness and you start to see all of these people come out and say, oh yeah, this has been happening to me since, you know, like the 50s and the 60s and it's happened to my parents, it's happened to my grandparents and that mythos starts to form. But ultimately, since the mid-70s, it's the disclosure kind of movement that has pushed the field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so the way that the way that I would almost I like looking at things kind of in I'm I'm, I don't know, I'm, a, I'm a huge you know I'm a huge nerd, um, and so you know my brain like needs my brain needs classifications that I can kind of make sense of mm-hmm. right, and in my mind, I think the I think the UFO subject or the field fits really perfectly in with the five conspiracy types that were identified by Jesse Walker. Mm. And these are so the, the five types are and, and I think in some ways those correspond. So I think that these five types are always kind of out there. Right. Yeah. But what has happened over time is like you're kind of hinting at one thought or one type of thought becomes dominant in a given in a given age. Right. Yeah. So you kind of have the pre-World War II era. Then you have from World War II to maybe say the mid-60s. Then from the mid-60s up to maybe, I would almost say up to September 11th. And then post-September 11th is almost, I would consider that to be a new era Mm -hmm. in the field because of the inclusion of post-9-11 almost in my mind, we have now, the idea that the government is lying to us and trying to spread disinformation, I think, has become part of the mythology itself. Even if the government hasn't been doing that in this era. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. But anyways, whatever. We can, we can get into that. But these five conspiracy types are the enemy outside, the enemy within, the enemy above, the enemy below, and then the benevolent. The enemy outside is the case where there are forces outside of your society trying to use it for some purpose that you don't you don't necessarily know about or can even comprehend. Mm-hmm. So the perfect example of this would be the Greys uh, abducting humans and doing genetic experiments on us for some reason. Right. Right. Some reason that we you know it doesn't benefit us. It doesn't necessarily even hurt us as a society. They're just using us for some reason. Mm-hmm. The next, the enemy within is essentially an invisible force within the society working against the masses. Um, so this, a perfect example of this would be the reptilian conspiracy theory, right? right? The idea that there are reptilians that are acting like humans and doing things for the benefit of the reptilian society, um, which may or may not be good for human society. Right. The David, I kind of BS. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The next is the enemy above which is really the kind of classic conspiracy theory. The rich, those in power, are manipulating the mass population for their personal gain, Mm -hmm. right? So the enemy above would kind of, in my mind, the enemy above would be the the era that we are in now, which is, or the predominant theory now, which is that the government head, the heads of the government, the military, our head scientists, all these other people know that aliens exist, they are trading us to the aliens for our own, you know, for the benefit of their 
part of society. Right, yeah, the whole Eisenhower Treaty kind of crap. Yeah, the create a treaty and all that stuff. The enemy below is those with little power or traditional, you know, societal push are working to overturn the social order. This is one that we really, we, I think knee jerk. We want to think that that's not one that's really popular in today's world. However, it shows up all the damn time, right? The classical version of this, I would say is like anarchist fears, right? The anarchists are going to, rise up and take over the society and ruin uh, polite society and whatever. But a, a more modern version of this would be the fear over, for instance, um, you know, uh, LGBTQ rights, mm-hmm. right? This part of society that is traditionally marginalized is trying to destroy good Christian values um, by, you know, changing our bathroom signs and whatever. Right. Right. And then the final one is the benevolent conspiracy. This is the one where, uh, similar to, say, like, ancient astronaut theories where these uh, something comes down and is just trying to work, just trying to help us out. Yeah. Right? They have no ulterior motives. They are just, you know, they're like angels coming down from on high trying to help us out. Right. You know? Right. And you find that in, like... Every single, just about every single UFO account from the 50s to now, because you have these people that come and say, oh, the aliens tell us that we're sucky to the planet and we need to cut the shit. And and like this persists all the way up until now. Like you, you look at the alien abductees, aliens preach the same message at different times because you have this common motif where the angels would show or the aliens would show you, you know, visions of the planet just blowing up and stuff like that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So right, yeah. and I think, and I think at, at any given time, then we kind of pick and choose which cases are going to be important to us yes. because they are the ones that fit into that kind of overall motif mm-hmm. of conspiracy that we think is important. Right. right? So I would argue, and I don't know if you agree with me, but I would argue that the 19, the pre kind of, let's say pre-World War II alien events, right, tended to be of the benevolent kind. For Yeah, by by and large. Uh, with, right. With, um, I think the only violent event that you could really look at, and you can't totally pin this on a UFO because we don't even know what the heck happened, is the Battle of Los Angeles in 1942. Nobody really knows what happened. You know, just right. a bunch of people, you know, thought they saw something in the sky and then just started to unload rounds, mostly because a, a couple of days before the Japanese uh, just bombed a, an oil field right off the coast of California. So, right. Yeah, that's really the only time when uh, UFOs have been seen, at least in that early era, as something violent. Yeah. Re- and really interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and and actually in some weird ways, right, if we look back at kind of the history of that time period and things, 
what we find is that in every era, and I don't think there's any more perfect example of this than the Roswell case. Mm-hmm. In every era, a, the cases get reanalyzed to fit into this other narrative. Yeah. Right? So, you know, Roswell's a good example of this. So is the Betty and Barney Hill case. But okay, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about that. But so, all right, I would say, so yeah, pre-World War II, we're talking benevolent, right? From World War II to the 60s, what would you classify things as? How would you kind of state what that was? Uh, well, we're, we're in the early Cold War. Yep. So we're promoting messages of peace because, you know, we don't, we don't want nukes just dropping everywhere. So in, in a way, you're getting more of that benevolence. You're not seeing UFOs really doing a lot of dangerous or, you know, hostile things. And in every, uh, with the exception of, say, the, the case of Thomas F. Mantell, the, the uh, uh, National Guard pilot who was taxiing a plane back to Kentucky and he decides to engage with some unknown object and... It's not the object that kills him. It's the fact that he has no oxygen on board his plane, and therefore he blacks out and dies. Hmm. And yet, like, if you look at the cases of um, where people try to pin, like, the UFOs as these violent things, they're not very well corroborated, and they're not, there's no clear intention there. So, up until that point, it, it, they're still pretty benevolent, and Interesting. yeah, that's a, 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 like for the most part, it's a benign phenomenon. Like people are, you know, re- reporting all of these sightings for the most part, but like, there's nothing that's really harmful. It's all mostly benevolent to me. Sure. So, you know, what's interesting, though, is in my mind, at least in the pop, I would argue that in pop culture, at least, this is the era where the the idea of like a violent invasive force mm-hmm. starts to really become popular. Right. 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 Because we're taught, you know, part of the idea of these UFOs is that maybe they're Nazi weaponry. Right. Right. Maybe they are. Um, what's the word? Maybe they are. You know, I think I think that this is an era where. Like you said, there's certainly that part of benevolence yeah. still there, right? Right. But I would argue that this is kind of a transitionary period where we're shifting from the benevolent Space Brothers theories to a more enemy outside kind of conspiracy, right? Right. Where we're starting to think that we don't know who they are. Right. We don't know who they work for, but they certainly don't have our interests at heart. Right. 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 And I can I can totally see that. At the same time, and and I, and we're gonna get more into that, you know, once you get past like the mid '60s. But for the most part, they still seem kind of harmless. Like there's this; it, it almost seems like a disconnect between the, the conspiracy minded and like what's actually being reported. Right, the actual reported of the events themselves. because everything is is largely benign to this point. The which is so interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Because it's like, it's this, you know, separation of the two. Like, what is and what's perceived and how it's affecting culture. And, like, these reports are affecting culture in a different way. And I wonder if that's just the fact. I wonder if that's just, like, 
almost a disparity between the way the media portrayed it because for a long time the media just didn't take it seriously but it's like oh the, hey these people are still reporting these things well that's pretty intense and i mean that's going to change around the mid 60s for a short period of time but there is this disparity between pop culture and what's being reported right absolutely so then so where where would you say is the point where would you say it is in that later, like the 1980s, late 70s, early 80s to like the 90s, where this thing, th- this event started going from a benevolent or may- maybe not benevolent, the right word, a well, I think they were benevolent to some extent, but almost like a un, a, we don't know what they are, right? Right. We don't we don't know what their point is in coming here, but they don't seem to want to come to take over. No. Right. They don't seem to be a threat necessarily no. to the point where we start thinking of them as threatened, right? Right. As they're coming here to do either experiments on us that hurt us, or even that they're starting to work with our military to control us. Right. I'd argue, you know, it seems obvious that the modern day view of what a UFO case is, is a lot more um, negative and dangerous than what it would have been at the beginning of the field. Right. I think the real transition starts to take place in toward the later 70s when you start to see things like cattle mutilation starting to merge with UFOs like that mm. is kind of a violent thing that that occurs and it starts to become intertwined in the late 70s with UFO culture and you have a, a couple of uh abductees who came forward during this time period and say uh, when I was abducted, so was a calf, and it was slaughtered on board. There were a couple of people, mm. uh, Judy Doherty, um, sure. in her account, uh, I believe it was 1973, she came forward in 1981 or so, I think. And um, uh, there's another woman named Myrna Hansen who really hit the the conspiracy wagon hard and she was an early influence in Paul Benowitz's life. And Paul Benowitz plays a huge part in all this. Hmm. And that's and what's interesting is too, this is the time period where, so 66, right. Mm-hmm. Is the publication of the interrupted journey, right. right. About Betty and Barney Hill's abduction mm-hmm. where this is a, this is a time period where, um, the idea of them and, and their case was not was not like the average case for that time period, you know, no. where the aliens were coming down and taking you on the ship and being like, look, man, we're all nude on our planet. We're having a great time. Stop using nuclear weapons. You know, um, they were kind of brought on. And, and although afterwards, Betty said she had a great time um, in interviews and stuff like the event itself was was terrifying for them, yeah. you know, so it's a really interesting one. Um such a weird thing. So the time, so the time period in your mind where, so would you, would you say, what would you say is the biggest cause or where would you see the big shift happen where the military started to be viewed as being involved in all this? Uh, really, I would say probably early eighties, to be honest with you, just because of the way that the air force office, of special investigations really started to, play a part in 
the UFO community, they started to spread information into the UFO community. There's certain hints of it in the late 70s. Uh, for instance, you have Robert Emenegger getting this uh, footage from, the I believe it was the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, that they wanted him to use in a documentary that you know shows that these aliens landed at a air force base and you know, it was this peaceful thing and all, and all that stuff. And uh, there are certain cases where it seems like the government wanted to use some people in that way. There's a story that uh, they actually approached Walt Disney at one point to do this. And Hmm. that documentary never came to be. I think you get some hints of it in the you know the mid to late seventies, but I think it really you know becomes a big thing uh, all the way into the eighties. Interesting. And so, what do you think? What do you think was the big factor there that caused that? Do you think it was Paul Benowitz? I think it was the Paul Benowitz affair. I think it was the uh, Majestic Twelve documents that uh, were brought to the forefront in 83 i think it was and mm-hmm. uh yeah it's it, it's it it didn't just you know hit paul benowitz um a Fossey, you know kind of set linda bolton Howe on the course that she's been on like her entire life sure yeah i mean uh the the story is that richard doty who is the major AFOC player off Air Force Office's Special Investigations, who approached her after she uh, came out with uh, An Alien Harvest, her HBO documentary. And he wanted to produce, an, you know, he basically wanted to her, the Air Force to back her in producing another documentary about the UFO phenomenon. And then they were basically going to fund the whole thing, and then they just pulled the funding, and the documentary never got made. And, hmm. I mean, that's that's a part of it. Uh, I definitely think that the Air Force uh, really, really started to, do, to ratchet it up in the 80s. But uh, Benowitz was a big part of that. And uh, Bill Moore, uh, the way that they used Bill Moore, uh, was a definite part of that, too. Sure, sure, yeah. So the the general then trajectory of this today is essentially we have we we have evidence that the gut we have okay, evidence. We have some evidence that the government has been involved in trying to at least obfuscate the world of UFOs since its beginning. Mm-hmm. Right? We have like say Project Blue Book where um you know, there was the whole um, I'm blanking on the name right now. We talked about it in our episode on Bob Lazar, but um, there was a letter from the director of Project Blue Book that essentially said my directive is to, uh, you know, say it's all fake. Right. Yeah. Um, leading people to leave the team. Um, and that's kind of led to a So this distrust in the government has been there since the beginning. Um, interestingly, though. What it has led to in the kind of modern era is a tendency in the UFO community to go to outside sources, maybe not outside sources. I think there there was a, there was a a clear shift in the way that we thought about the government's involvement in this, where in the fifties and sixties, we thought that the government would 
would give us answers if they had them. And I also, right? I also think like the nature of like, because you, you have that government distrust at that time, but I think the nature of the distrust is different from the nature of it now. So like yes. the nature in the, the forties to the fifties to the sixties, up until you get to this, uh, you know, disinformation age is that it's not the government is like, purposefully putting disinformation out there it's that the government is uh tamping down reports they're hiding information that you know is you know legitimate from these sightings they're just downplaying reports that's the nature of this and then you start to see that shift late 70s uh 80s 90s i mean especially big time in the 90s how many times did the air force have to come out with a Roswell report, I think twice in the nineties. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really good point you make though, right? The, the flavor of the, the flavor of the distrust of the government changed drastically mm -hmm. from, like you said, the government. I also think in the, in the past, there was a view that the government had a good reason for keeping these sightings down. Yeah. To, right? to not, to keep a, a hysterical population, you know, calm. Like that, that has a lot to do with it. And you have figures like Donald Kehoe, a former, yep. you know, a military official himself saying, well, no, the government's got reports and, uh, you know, they're hiding things. Well, cool, man. Cool. It's, it's all in the nature of what's being hidden. And right. It was, yeah, it was almost like, it was almost in the same way that the government hid the Manhattan project. Yeah. Right was how they were hiding this UFO technology or this UFO, this information on UFOs to the modern day view where the government is hiding it for nefarious purposes, mm -hmm. you know? And so there's kind of, I think, I don't know. I, I tend to think that there's kind of three, maybe not three. There's a couple of different major flavors of this modern day military conspiracy theory when it comes to the UFO world, mm -hmm. right? There is, the government is working with the with the aliens. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There is the the government is um the government has no idea what's going on. Right. But they are trying to keep a lid on things to keep the public from freaking out. Yep. Right? There is the government is trying to use their connect. And I guess this is similar to the, they're working with the alien. I mean, I guess maybe there's two, there's two ones, right? The third one, I guess would be the government doesn't care at all about the alien stuff and they're just ignoring it. Right. Right. So kind of, there's kind of three options, well, right? I they know about it. They don't know about it or they don't, they know about it and they're working with them. They know about it and they're not working with them or they don't know about well, it. Well, I think there's a, there's a fourth one too. And, and, and it kind of, gets into the like a little more conspiracy mind and, and it's that well the government's working uh, on what they're working on so if people think it's aliens why don't we just give them aliens just to trick them yes and that would be i think another yeah you're absolutely correct right the other one would be the government is using this as a means of hiding government work and and we know that they have Done that in the past, uh, especially when you talk about the Paul Benowitz affair. They literally like your Dulce base mythos comes from the fact that, I mean, Paul Benowitz was a pilot and, you know, he had a, he, an aerospace company that helped, you know, provide technology to the government. 
And one day he's like, sees these lights over Kirtland Air Force Base, and uh, he suddenly dete- starts detecting alien signals, and they, you know, basically set up Dulce Base to make it seem like there's something going on underground. They even went so far as to put a fake crash saucer so that he would find it. I mean, we we know the government has done this. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting, right? Yeah. This whole idea um, of ah, uh, and it's it's something else. Mm-hmm. So I think what all of this distrust in the government has kind of led us to, in a weird way, in the in in today's world, is looking to private industry to answer this for mm-hmm. us. You know, and this is one of the reasons why I think it's um. This is one of the reasons why I think we should call this a new era almost. You know, in this in the in the early days we thought the government had these answers. Then we started thinking that it was religion, right? There were these um you know, you had Scientology, you had um other religious kind of space cults, yeah. right? That we thought had these answers. To then, you know, the military has the answers but they're hiding it from us on purpose. To today, you know, who do we go to for these answers? Well, we're starting to go to private organizations, right? right. Gaia TV and, um, you know, YouTube creators and To The Stars Academy and Bigelow Aerospace and NIDS. It's a weird it's a weird shift that's happened. And it's honestly, we're still really looking towards the military for answers here, right? right. It's people from the military. It's ex-military members that we're looking towards. But it is... You know they're working with uh, they're working with people that we we assume or we hope are, um, what's the word? Independent, I guess. Yeah, would be the word to use, maybe. Yeah. So, Rob, how if you had to if you had to describe what you would consider to be a standard UFO sighting in the fifties versus today, right? What do you think a standard one would look like in the fifties? Um, to be honest, I don't, uh, if you want something, you know, iconic, it's basically someone sees a light in the sky for the most part, and that's all it is. And they, uh, for the most part, that hasn't changed. If you want to look at the iconography of the time, mm-hmm. like... It, it all depends on the era that you're in. So, like, if you're in the 50s and you're some crazy guy that comes forward and says that aliens landed on his lawn, they wanted to talk to him, and he's got, uh, you know, they brought him on board, and, you know, he, we're talking peace here. Let's, let's promote some peace. Whereas, I think the UFO reports of today, hell of a lot tamer. Like, so much more tamer that, like... I I don't it's almost like we don't accept sensationalism in them anymore like <laughs> as, as no more black goo being fed to people right 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 like they're very tame whereas you know 50s reports 60s reports you don't see as many like you know we, we call them humanoids like there was a lot of <laughs> reports of that back in the day they're very tame now um sure for the most part yeah so no, I think I, I agree with you there. I think it's a shift. I think it's a shift in. It is a shift from anything being possible in these cases. Yeah. Right. To it almost being it following a trend. Right. 
You know, you expect it to be a saucer shaped craft that comes down. There's a beam of light. Um, you know, maybe you see a beam of light. It moves erratically. You know, in some ways, it's an interesting thing that that the the options available to those seeing UFOs <laughs> appears to have been limited. You know, mm-hmm. um, and maybe like you said, we don't accept those sensational cases anymore as being true. But it's quite it's quite an interesting thing. Yeah. I don't know, man. So ultimately, then in all of this kind of in the middle of all this milieu, right, we have the we have the introduction of, I think, I would argue, one of the most important figures in modern UFO research or UFO mythology, Robert Bigelow. Yeah. Right. And that is going to be where we will pick up on our next episode. Yeah. I mean, you you get to talk about big money, Bobby Bigelow. You got you got you, his early days and in, in uh, all this research fun, you know, because like think about big money, Bobby Bigelow. He's a behind the scenes guy. He's got some money to throw around. But the moment he doesn't like the results that he's getting, he's going to pull that money away and he's going to stop. Bro, he is the the perfect the perfect example of started from the bottom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now we're here. Now we're here. He's killing it. Now we're here on the international space station, making weird deployable house pod things. Oh, good stuff. Anyways, dear listeners, thank you for listening to this episode here. The first in our series on the uh, modern UFO military connection. Um, thank you so much, Rob, for coming on. Rob, tell people where they can find you. Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to come over here and, and, and shoot the crap about ufos it's really great it's really great uh if you want to know more about uh my podcast the our strange guys podcast you can head on over to ourstrangeguys.com where you can find all the episodes on there all our past episodes we have a fun little blog and there's a fun blog post about you know uh aliens messing up during alien abductions it's really fun so uh yeah ourstrangeskies.com we're available also on every single podcast platform absolutely check it out so again listeners that's our strange skies podcast and we will be back next week with the beginnings of robert bigelow hey there i'm hannah and i'm audrey We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com see you soon